This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on Africa News Tonight... So this is really the beginning of South Africa's efforts towards a just energy transition, where the social, the economic, the political impacts of this transition are being dealt with. That's independent energy analyst Chris Yelland on plans to transforming a decommissioned power station into a plant that uses renewable energy. Details coming up. Also, Ethiopia's federal government and Tigray regional leaders are meeting to work on implementation of a peace deal. Funding for climate damage is under debate at COP27. And Americans vote in critical midterm elections tomorrow. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. World leaders and activists are gathered in Sharm al-Sheikh, Egypt, for the COP27 Climate Summit. VOA's Heather Murdoch is following the conference and spoke with my colleague Kate Pondawson about the messages heard today. The main messages of today were of alarm. Many people spoke today of how urgent and alarming climate change has become, specifically in the past year alone. There's been unprecedented floods, fires, heat waves, storms. Um, Many people have been killed by climate change related disasters this year. So a lot of people spoke about this and spoke about previous conferences, which have laid the framework for not fixing the problem, but but slowing the problem, making it possible for the world to go on at a similar level of catastrophe that we're at now uh, without getting much worse. Um, These framework has been set in 2015 in Paris and a lot of the rules of how to do it were established last year in Glasgow. So they spoke about these two conferences particularly. The problem is that all of these, um, all of this groundwork has yet to be implemented. So One of the main messages was also, this is the conference where we're gonna talk about not what we need to do, not how we need to do it, but when it is going to get done and making it happen. What were some of the other major issues uh, that were being addressed today? Another main issue that for the first time has been brought formally into a UN climate conference is that of how wealthy nations should and will support poorer nations in terms of alleviating the suffering of climate disasters going forward. Um, this has long since been an issue. In uh, more than a decade ago, world leaders of wealthy nations said that they planned to, by 2020, raise $100 billion a year um, to support poor countries in the event of climate disasters. That goal has not even come close to being met. And they say, this year, we're going to talk seriously about meeting that goal in future, even though the deadline that was originally set has already been passed. Um, so that has been formally brought into the talks and developing nations um, have, leaders have come to the conference um, with very strong goals in mind to hold the leaders of wealthy countries to account and say, this has to happen. It's no longer an option. Um, Another issue that was brought up today that I think is important 
more, more, it's a more distant problem, but it's a huge problem that will, will happen and is already starting to happen, which is climate migration. Al Gore, the climate activist and former vice president of the US, talked today about future climate migration, perhaps reaching a billion people by the end of the century. This is an unheard of amount of people on the move. We have such problems in the world right now with uh, refugees and, and migrants and displaced people all over the world from wars, economic crises, and now climate crises, but it's only going to get much worse. That was VOA correspondent Heather Murdoch in Istanbul. She was speaking with VOA's Kate Dawson. During their conversation, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres announced a new fund to pay for warning systems around the world to alert communities to looming natural disasters. Guterres said even 24 hours of uh, warning time for floods, hurricanes, and other disasters can reduce damage by 30%. For more on COP27, stay tuned to your favorite VOA Africa news and check out voaafrica.com. Ethiopia's federal government and Tigray regional leaders began meeting in the Kenyan capital Nairobi today for talks on an African Union brokered peace deal signed last week in South Africa. The parties are discussing how to implement the agreement and get much-needed food and medical aid to areas cut off by two years of war. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi, Kenya. Ethiopian government representatives and the leadership of the Tigray People's Liberation Front are meeting to implement the peace agreement that has given Ethiopian civilians trapped in the conflict new hope. Former Nigerian President Olesegun Obasanjo and Uhuru Kenyatta, former Kenyan president, are chairing the talks. Tigray spokesperson Getachu Reda says implementing the peace agreement will create more opportunities for the country. There are a number of things that need to be done which are stipulated in our agreement. The provision of services is one thing. And the more services there are, the more confidence there is, the more communication there is, and the more hope and expectation uh, it instills in the, in the people's mind, and that will further consolidate the peace we are trying to uh, put in place. So, it, uh, like I said, we are committed to honor the, uh, the commitments we've made. The deal calls for an end to the two-year conflict and the delivery of humanitarian assistance to the people in the Tigray region. The Ethiopian government's lead negotiator, Redwan Hussein, said it is a priority to reconnect the Tigray community with the rest of the country. In the areas also where we have no access, we have to quickly reconnect services, both telecom synergy uh, and banking systems. But before that, the, our people need food first and medicine. And for that, we are trying to expedite. The war has displaced millions and killed tens of thousands more. The conflict has made it difficult for aid agencies to reach millions in the Tigray region with food and medical supplies. The agreement also calls for the TPLF to lay down its arms in exchange for reintegration and the return of the National Army to the region. Tigray representatives say they have made a painful concession to end the conflict. Obasanjo, the African Union's chief mediator, say the two sides have established a telephone hotline. The hotline will help them monitor the truce and communicate with their forces to stop fighting in case of flare-ups. Kenyatta, a co-mediator of the peace talks, says he expects the ongoing negotiations to end the civil war. At the conclusion of this process, we'll be colleagues who will be working together 
for the betterment of their country, for the betterment of Ethiopia, for the benefit of our region, and ultimately join us all in our struggle to make Africa a better place and to end and silence the guns permanently so that we can focus on the well-being of our people. The talks are expected to last three or four days. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. UN agencies in Malawi say an influx of hundreds of refugees escaping fighting in the Democratic Republic of Congo is straining already scarce resources at Malawi's largest refugee camp. The UN's World Food Programme has warned it is quickly running out of food aid for the camp's more than 50,000 refugees and asylum seekers. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. The UN's World Food Programme says the influx of refugees from the Democratic Republic of Congo is putting pressure on resources. The WFP has long provided monthly food ration assistance to more than 50,000 refugees in Malawi. Badre Bahaji is the head of communications for WFP in Malawi. Since 2021, WFP is providing assistance to refugees through cash transfers. Refugees receive ATM cards and get their entitlement in their bank account. While the value is adjusted based on the market prices, WFP has been providing reduced rations to about 75% of the daily caloric needs because we do not have sufficient resources. Bahaji says currently the WFP has sufficient resources to provide food assistance to refugees until February 2023. Throughout 2022, food prices have been on the rise eroding the limited purchasing power of Malawi's poor and refugees alike. The situation is alarming because as the 2022-2023 lean period approaches, prices will likely shoot further upward. Conflict in the DRC has resulted in a continued flow of refugees into Malawi for more than two decades. Tens of thousands of people in the DRC were displaced recently after rebels captured a new territory there. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, says in September alone, the Zaleka camp, about 40 kilometers north of the capital, Ilongwe, received 423 refugees, mainly from the DRC. This is slightly above an average of between 300 and 400 refugees per month. Ken Emmanuel is a reporting officer for UNHCR in Malawi. He says the camp that can hold some 10,000 people is already overcrowded. That is one big challenge. Secondly, the funding has severely been cut, really, really down compared to previous years, and meaning that providing basic services to the new arrivals and those who are already in the camp is becoming a big challenge. Emmanuel says efforts to ask for more assistance from donors have not been successful. Last Wednesday, some refugees at the Zaleka camp protested the loss of food rations after the WFP cut off them from the ration list as part of its targeted assistance program, which seeks to help those in need. As of Monday, demonstrators were still holding on to a WFP vehicle, saying they will not release it until the UN agency meets their demands. The WFP says it plans to retrieve the vehicle through peaceful negotiations. Lamik Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi.
You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. A Senegalese journalist has been arrested after being accused of spreading information harmful to public security. The arrest comes after the journalist published articles about rape charges facing main opposition leader Osman Sonko. Anika Hammerschlag from Dakar, Senegal reports. Pap Alain Yang, who runs the news website Dakar Matin, was detained Sunday while changing a car tire in downtown Dakar, according to local reports. Nyang is an outspoken journalist known for his investigations into abuses of power. Details about the rape allegations against opposition leader Usman Sonko were reportedly taken from a classified military document which implicated a leader of Senegal Gendarmerie in spying on Sonko. Sonko placed third in the 2019 presidential election and is running again in 2024. He was arrested last year on what many believe were dubious accusations of rape. The incident ignited a week of rioting that led to the deaths of 14 people. A second round of demonstrations erupted in June over the government's decision to keep Sonko and other members of the opposition off the ballot in the legislative elections. Sonko, who has been under judicial supervision since March 2021, appeared before a judge Thursday for the first time. Senegalese President Macky Sall, who is in his second term, is set to leave office in 2024. But fears are mounting that he will run for an unconstitutional third term, accusations which he has neither confirmed nor denied. Mamadou Thioch is the chairperson of Senegal's press regulation body, the Council for the Observance of Ethics, Rules, and Professional Conduct in the Media. The organization Monday issued a declaration to condemn Young's arrest. It is very unfair. We know that if we don't protest against that, it's Papa Alenia today, tomorrow it will be me or someone else. We are supporting him no matter what happens. Because Papa Ali, as an investigative journalist, did his job. Chor said the gendarmerie are at fault for failing to protect the document. Nyang is facing three charges, including the violation of professional secrecy and for making public information that could harm the national defense, according to a statement given by Nyang's lawyer to the French news agency AFP. A third charge accuses Nyang of acts liable to compromise public security. Journalist arrests in Senegal are rare. Senegal was ranked 49th out of 180 on the Reporters Without Borders 2021 Press Freedom Index, but the country fell to 73 in 2022, a level considered problematic. Sedi Boumahong heads the Reporters Without Borders West Africa Bureau. It's a regrettable situation now in a country like Senegal, where for so long freedom of press has been something which has been uploaded. The fact that he, as part of his investigative reporting, is being arrested, it is non-negotiable. He also says Senegal's decrease in press freedom rankings occurred largely due to threats to journalist safety and the forced closure of media stations. Annika Hammerschlag for VOA News, Dakar, Senegal. Traders in Cameroon town of Kiosi on the border with Equatorial Guinea say business is suffering after the land border was closed last week ahead of the November 20th elections. Equatorial Guinea says it closed the border to prevent what it calls infiltration of mercenaries who want to destabilize the elections. Political analysts say President Teodoro Obiang Nguome Mbosogo, uh, who came to power in a 1979 coup and is Africa's longest still-serving leader, is sure to win. Moki Edwin Kinzeka reports from Kiosi, Cameroon. Several hundred citizens from Cameroon and Equatorial Guinea 
Most of them merchants say they have not been able to cross the border from Kiosi, a Cameroonian border town, to Equatorial Guinea since November 3. Dozens of heavily armed Equatorial Guinea government troops can be seen on the Central African state's side of the border. Building material importer Dominic Esonu says the troops are preventing him and many other Equatorial Guinea citizens from returning to their country to vote on November 20. No hay libertad de prensa, no hay libertad de expresión, no libertad de reunión. Esono said scores of business persons are stranded and cannot move to Cameroon from Ibebeyin, a town in Equatorial Guinea. Cameroon imports vegetable oil, wine, canned food and body lotions from Equatorial Guinea and exports building material, vegetables, tomatoes, rice and potato to Equatorial Guinea. On October 25, Equatorial Guinea's Vice President Teodoro Ngema Obiang Mangi said the border was sealed to prevent from the infiltration of groups that may want to destabilize Equatorial Guinea's elections. 80-year-old Obiang is Africa's longest-serving leader. The former military officer serving as the second president of Equatorial Guinea took power in an August 1979 coup. He will be facing two candidates in the November 20 elections. Esono Ondo is running for the first time, while Mansui Asumu is running for the third time. Obiang told the Pan-African TV channel, Afric Media, on Monday that he will continue to develop his country and reduce poverty in rural communities if re-elected. Nuestro slogan es la continuidad. Obiang says it is by no error that continuity is the slogan of his election campaign. He says his exceptional program is to open Equatorial Guinea businesses to the rest of the world so that by 2035, the Central African state can become an economically independent emerging economy. Owana Wolfang is a political analyst at the University of Yaoundé's Political Science Research Center in Cameroon. He says Obiang is poised for another victory as in the past six elections when he never got less than 90% of the votes. Wolfgang says it will not be surprising if after the elections, the aging Obiang hands over leadership of Equatorial Guinea to his son, Teodoro Gema Obiang Mange. He says Obiang's son is Equatorial Guinea's vice president and a very influential member of the Democratic Party of Equatorial Guinea, the country's ruling party. The opposition says Obiang's rule is marked by persecution and torture of political opponents, corruption and sham elections, charges Obiang's party denies. The ruling party holds 99% of the 100 seats in the outgoing National Assembly and all 55 seats in the Senate. Equatorial Guinea's presidential poll was initially scheduled for April 2023. President Obiang brought it forward to November 20 to coincide with legislative, Senate, and local elections. Equatorial Guinea has an annual oil revenue of more than $3 billion, but most of its 1.5 million people live in poverty, according to the United Nations. Moki. Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, QC, 
Southern Cameroon. Botswana has been selected to host the Kimberley Process Permanent Secretariat. The announcement follows the end of the meeting of the Global Diamond Industry Watchdog in Habrone on Saturday. Austria and China, two countries that do not mine the precious stones, were also bidding to house the Secretariat. From Habrone, Botswana, reporter Mokandisi Dube has the details. After four years of canvassing, Botswana has been chosen as the host for the permanent secretariat of the Kimberley Process, which is an international initiative by government, civil society groups and industry to discourage the flow of conflict diamonds used to finance rebel groups and civil wars, especially in Africa. According to a final communique issued at the end of the meeting, the decision to establish the secretariat in Habron was taken following recommendations from technical experts. President Mukwezi Masisi says this was the only logical decision given the southern African country's diamond mining history. Diamonds are the mainstay of Botswana's economy, whose annual production today is by value the highest in the world. The importance of diamonds to Botswana's development agenda is therefore unquestionable. Hence, my country's unwavering support to the Kimberley process. And besides, I know of no country other than Botswana that depends on diamonds as much as Botswana. Masisi says Botswana will push for the sustainable use of diamond resources across all 85 Kimberley process member states. I firmly believe that having an established permanent secretariat will help us in this ambition. I can assure you that we are committed to work with all in the KP fraternity to ensure the diamond industry is protected from infirmity. World Diamond Council President Edward Asher tells VOA Botswana is a deserving host of the permanent secretariat. The country is a shining example that diamonds can contribute to the well-being of everybody involved and that the financial results are contributing to the whole country and not only to a few. So that is very, very positive. It took four years to finalize the choice and in the end only Botswana uh, got the full support of the KP in, uh, during the plenary in Botswana itself. Meanwhile, after lengthy deliberations during the Kimberley process plenary in Habron, participants agreed to form an ad hoc committee to push for reforms within the organization. Among others, the committee will look into redefining conflict diamonds as Russia's invasion of Ukraine has seen calls for reform within the Kimberley process grow louder. For VOA, this is Ngondisi Dube in Habron, Botswana. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehia Suhib in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Barrow, and our engineer, Cornelius Tanner, thanks for choosing The Voice of America.
is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station. 